The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. We as moms could model for our daughters that it's okay to be upset with each other. That doesn't mean we don't love each other. And in fact, learning how to deal with conflict effectively was a way to keep our relationships intact. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 358. Today, we're talking about raising emotionally resilient daughters in a digital age with Dr. Ronnie Cohen-Sandler. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence. Kids. Thanks. Welcome back. I am so glad you're here. Listen, if you haven't done so yet, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten anything good from this podcast, anything at all, please just do me a favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow more. It takes 30 seconds. I greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And just a moment. I am going to be sitting down with Dr. Ronnie Cohen-Sandler. She's a licensed clinical psychologist, author, speaker with decades of experience in assessing and treating adolescents and adults. She specializes in issue, with issues with women and teenage girls, mother-daughter relationships, parental guidance. She's appeared as an expert on The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Today Show, CBS, Good Morning America, PBS, among many others. And we're going to talk about teen girls. Oi, I have to say, like, as the mom of now two teen girls, like, people are scared of having teen girls. They're freaked out about it. And we're going to talk about building a trusting relationship with your daughter or daughters. We're going to talk about how you can set the tone when they're younger for the kind of relationship you want with them through adolescence. I want you to listen for three important takeaways. One, there will be conflict. Listen, focus on being an ally. Two, being adaptive is important that every relationship evolves. And that three, parental anxiety, our anxiety can really influence our daughter's narrative about us. So this is a very powerful episode. I know you're gonna get so much out of it. It's very, very powerful. Even if you have boys, this stuff applies. And if you have young kids, this is so good that you're listening to this now because it is the best. This is when you like build that relationship. So, all right, let's dive in. Join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Ronnie Cohen-Sandler. So glad 
glad you could come talk to me selfishly because as I've told you, I have a 15-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old daughter um, who will be 15 soon. In a week. In a week. (laughs) In a week. Um, And But I also think that this conversation is incredibly important for parents of young kids, like however old your daughters are, because if you have a daughter, because you know, this is a relationship that starts and builds on the things that happen when they're young. Would, would you, would you say, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. I think it's so important to establish the sort of things that you want to accomplish in terms of your relationship with your daughter, when your daughter is very young and to Mm. set the tone for what's going to happen. If you start trying to uh, create a trusting relationship when she's 15, it's going to be that much more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. I mean, at least for me, like I had that, like that was a big driving force for me was like, I don't want my child to hate me when they're 14 and 15. Like I'd actually like to have like a good relationship, um, with them when they're 14 and 15, because I had so much, you know, I had a lot of strife in my own relationship with my, more with my father when I was that age. And it, you know, it was like, we had a difficult relationship for many years after that because sure. of the way he parented me. And I, I was like, I wanted to avoid that. You know, I know there's going to be separation and there's definitely like separation and teenagers are teenagers and they're wacky and weird and a little bit hormonal, definitely hormonal at times. And, but i feel happy in that we're, we're in a close relationship still. We're talking all every day, you know, about all kinds of things. I mean, I feel like that you're right. Like that tone of like, I listened to her tell me like these long stories about my little bodies and stuff when she was four. <laughs> and now she tells me all these things, right. That are happening in her life when now that she's 15. And, um, but I love that idea of like, set the tone, like just think about it when they're young. What, what do you want your relationship to be like? Right. What do you value? And when you, when you're mindful about that very early on, you know, what are you emphasizing? What are your priorities in any given situation? You know, what are you trying to convey to your daughters about what you think is really important when you can do that when they're really young, you're establishing a foundation. Because when adolescence comes, just because of development, there's going to be conflict. You know, Mm -hmm. of course, you always want to be close to your daughters. But I think that it's unrealistic to expect that you're going to get through the adolescent years without conflict. Because just by its very nature, you know, moms are supposed to keep uh, their kids healthy and safe. And teenagers are supposed to test the limits. And they're supposed to, um, you know, flex their wings and, you know, try to fly away a little bit. And so there's this push-pull going on that's very normal and natural. And if you have a good relationship, if you have a good foundation of closeness and trust, um, and, and your daughter feels like you're an ally during those years, I think it's that much easier to weather those years without feeling like you've lost you've lost that closeness with your daughter or that you've lost the communication that's so important during those years. 
I love that idea that, that they feel like you're an ally. I think that's really important to like, and especially sometimes when I think of like sort of the parenting metaphors that we all have, like the united front and pick your battles, right? Like we have all these like war metaphors for parenting. (laughs) I think those are really wrong headed in that we want to be on the same team, right? Like we want to be allies, but I'm I'm curious about you and like what, what drove you to write this? Because I, I know that your first book is titled, I'm not mad. I just hate you. So, which, um, you your now adult daughter had to weather the, the popularity of a title of a book titled, I'm not just mad. I hate you. Um, was, and I love what you said also about like, there will be conflict. Like that's just normal, right? Like we're all going to have conflict. So as, as you went into this with your own daughter and, you know, this conflict arose, what were some of the, what were some of the maybe fears or worries that you had, that you had to, had to work through going into this, going into adolescence? Sure. Well, I too had um, a very difficult relationship with my own mother. Mm. And so a lot of my fears were, that my daughter would, well, let me just say how I felt. I felt that my mom could not tolerate any sort of uh, expression of feeling on my part or uh, a thought on my part that was different from hers. Hmm. Um, She took great offense to anything that wasn't exactly what she thought, felt, or wanted. And so I felt like I couldn't really be myself and be authentic and genuine. Um, with her in a relationship, I had to kind of appease her and be very superficial and we were never very close. And I wanted things to be different with my daughter um, right off the bat. And so, you know, one of the things I was seeing in my practice was that the teenage girls I was seeing were very, very loath to express any kind of the slightest irritation, the slightest anger, the slightest negative, if you will, feeling, but they're perfectly normal human emotions, right? And then then I was realizing that the reason they couldn't do that was because their moms couldn't do it either. Like so many of their moms were just so unraveled by the idea of conflict or anger. They didn't know how to handle it. And Mm -hmm. so I was seeing that there was a better way and that we as moms could model for our daughters that it's okay to be upset with each other. That doesn't mean we don't love each other. And in fact, learning how to deal with conflict effectively was a way to keep our relationships intact. Because when one person expressed something and the other one really listened and really metabolized what was said, said, then we could work out things and find a better way. And so that's what I was determined to do with my daughter at every turn. And I really focused on how to say things in a way that didn't make her feel like she was a bad person or um, if she had bad feelings, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to fall apart if she said to me, mom, I don't like it when you do this. Mm -hmm. It's just an example. This is, uh, this is, uh, relieving to hear because we have no problems expressing our <laughs> irritation and things with each other in my family. <laughs> Although my husband is a little bit conflict. It's funny. My husband, he's the one who's conflict avoidant and, you know, and, and it's like, it's okay for us to 
talk to each other, right? Like this is, it's okay for people to have conflict. Like someone said, you're, if you're not, you have no conflict, you have no relationship, but also, right. And like, but also it, it, isn't it, if you, if you're not resolving things, if you're not working, talking through things, don't, I mean, imagine other party or your child, they're making up a whole story about your motives and things and whatnot that may not be real. Right. If you're oh, absolutely. Kind of resolving these conflicts. Absolutely. And you know, every relationships aren't stagnant. Every relationship evolves over time, particularly during the adolescent years when your child is literally changing every few days, every few weeks, you know, they're evolving so rapidly. You know, the maturation that's going on here is unparalleled. So the relation, as your daughter evolves, the relationship has to evolve as well. And so if you're not dealing with things that arise, if you're not being flexible and adaptive, then your relationship is going to stagnate. All right. It's not going to work. Yeah. Okay. So what are the things that we should expect moving into adolescence for girls? What are some of the norms that we should expect? And maybe we can also talk about some of the way some things are different now than, than when they were young, because your new book is called anything, but my phone, I know how valuable the phone is, but what are some of the, what are some of the um, things we should expect developmentally? You mean in terms of their psychosocial development? Mm-hmm. Teens. Oh, okay. Well, one thing that is really important, and especially when you're talking about how moms react to it, one thing that's really important developmentally is that around puberty is when when teenagers or preteens start to think about gravitating more toward their peers than hanging out with their parents. And you know, it's not 100% across the board, but that is the general developmental shift that happens at that time. And a lot of parents feel really threatened about that, particularly Mm -hmm. moms, you know, especially if you have been really a very engaged, very involved mom, and you spend a lot of time with your daughter, thinking about your daughter, and you love spending time with her. If you find that she's kind of not as interested in spending time with you and really more interested in her peers sometimes moms feel really threatened about that and really insulted. And I think it's really important for parents to be aware of these developmental shifts that are perfectly normal. And honestly, it's a positive thing if your daughter has friends and wants to spend time with them. Um, So that's one thing that I would say. And another one that also affects the mother-daughter relationship is that this is a time when there's a tremendous amount of cognitive growth. And so Daughters, when they get into early adolescence or even in the tween years, they're able cognitively to kind of question things, you know, sort of meta-analysis, thinking about thinking. And so they're more apt to question um, parents, like, well, why can't I do something? You know, well, explain to me, you know, why are you saying no to this? And if mothers and fathers were raised in a home where that was absolutely forbidden, that it was seen as talking back or challenging authority, then they might reflexively respond like that to their own daughters. And I think that's really a mistake because we are trying to teach our daughters to be good problem solvers. So we want to share with them our thinking. We want them to see how we reason through things and how we make decisions. We want to encourage them to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah, definitely. 
I agree. I'm, I'm all for like questioning, questioning kids who question. It can be frustrating to live with sometimes though. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like the toddler stage where they're asking why, 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 you know, and you're tired of answering, you know, the same question. Why, why? But things change, you know, and you might say no for one reason one day. And then two weeks later, you might have to say no for a totally different reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is tiring to go through those kinds of processes, I would say, you know, it is tiring to, to have to sort of go through it. But I think that there's so much you gain from that. And if you shut off that process, not only will teens feel not heard and not understood, which is not a good thing, um, but also that's a part of their thinking process that won't, won't develop in the same way. Yeah. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Rituals Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, I think like if I were in a relationship, like that would seem disrespectful if we're not going to talk about like, if we can't have a conversation of why. So 
something is the way it is. So I would offer that same respect to my kids to say, this is why, you know, maybe this is different at this point. Are there any pieces, um, other pieces kind of developmentally that we should look for in, in kids? So we've talked about sort of that orientation towards friends, um, cognitive, cognitive development. Are there um, any other pieces that we need to touch oh, on? Oh yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot. I'm trying to think about what would be the priority that I would talk about because there are so many things like that. Um, I think that um, there's a developmental thing that's going on with kids that affects parents, but indirectly. And that is around puberty. So around this age that I'm talking about is when kids get into the latter part of uh middle school or junior high school and or start to go into high school. And that's a time when for many parents, this whole um, frenzy about achievement starts, you know, Mm. they they start to feel like, oh, your grades in, in this grade, well, in this year of your of your schooling are going to affect, you know, what classes you're going to be in next year and whether you're going to be in honors classes, you know, all this kind of anxious thinking. And I find that that can be a huge impediment to parent-teen relationships because all of a sudden parents start getting anxious. And we should talk about parental anxiety in general. Um, But parents start getting anxious and they start behaving differently toward kids' schooling. And sometimes they get much more involved. And so teens start feeling this pressure. And it can also happen with extracurricular activities as well, because that's the age when, you know, you're doing it for fun, you're doing it for fun. But if you find your niche um, around age 11 or 12, like a lot of girls will just quit sports if they're not good at it. But parents might try to convince them to continue. They might try to ask kids to step it up and do a much more intense version of a sport or a hobby, um, because they think that they want, they need to have their kids find this niche that's going to help them to achieve and get to college and all that stuff. And it starts really young. And I find that that is probably one of the number one factors that really erodes relationships between parents and, and young teens. It's interesting as you talk about that, because like, for me, I've been, my kids have, I've always been involved in Montessori schools, they haven't had great, they didn't get grades until like seventh and eighth grade, you know, and they, they, they do the work, they follows the child that, you know, and they, it's child led. And I, uh, and I, um, and I've seen, you know, I having done, having done, seen the research about extrinsic motivation versus intrinsic motivation, Mm -hmm. extrinsic Mm -hmm. motivation being things like praise rewards and grades and how demotivating that is. I basically have evolved to this attitude of like that. Your grades are your thing. Like that's your thing. Like I have nothing to do with it. I don't. That's great. I I barely. I oh good good because I barely you know it's like they have to be like mom mom I I got my report card oh okay do you want to show me like you you don't have to you can show me if you want they I almost don't even and it's interesting because they have like almost like a hundred percent ownership of their grades and their thing. And they're so motivated. I mean, it's a sample size of two. So I can't say that this is a thing, but they, 
they are, they get incredible grades, but I don't have, I, I could not, I have, could not let like from their perspective, I imagine it's like, Oh, that, that's great. I bet that feels good. It's completely their thing. And that seems right. to have worked incredibly well for them. And it does. It does. I mean, really, honestly, kids have a natural love of learning. And if they learn things on their own and they feel good about it, they feel empowered. Parents don't have to do a thing, you know, but the antithesis of that, and I'm very familiar with the Montessori method and I think it's great. Um, My children also were in Montessori schools very early on, but then they went to regular elementary school because it didn't go up, you know, past um, preschool. But I love that model. But the antithesis of this is what I'm seeing um, in middle school and especially in high school now where parents have an online portal. And so they can see every single day, you know, whether their kid was in class, um, what they got on that quiz, all of their homework assignments, their grades, if they didn't get anything in. And, you know, it's taking the school ownership completely away from kids. Um, and, and the reason I think, and, and this is something that I, I want to talk about a little bit, if it's okay, yeah. is that I think that so much of the problem that comes in with, with parents and, and tweens and teens is that parents get anxious about things. Mm. This is a huge thing because I hear from the teens that I work with, whether it's social or um, academic or things like, you know, being out in the world, whether it's drinking or drugs or driving, whatever it is. When parents are anxious, as you well know, and their amygdalas start firing away and they perceive a threat, then they're flooded with stress hormones. And what happens is that the way they speak to their kids completely changes. They're coming from this anxious place, Mm -hmm. but it comes out angry. It comes out like they're mad at their kids and Mm -hmm. their kids perceive that as, as the anxiety, as sort of anger and criticism, their tone of voice changes. Mm. And I read a really interesting study that showed that around mid adolescence at around 15 or so girls are maximally sensitive to facial expressions in their moms, especially Mm. anger and anxiety. And so you're giving your kid this message that they're so, you know, angry, anxious, whatever. And and the kids are feeling so criticized and like, why is my mom angry at me? And it's coming out in a way that's so not helpful. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, when I've been worried about things, they've, my curls have expressed to me, like it, it's like, you're mad at me. Like they've said that to me. And I'm like, I'm worried. I've, we've had that conversation probably a couple of times about some things like I'm worried about X and it's, Oh, it feels like you're mad at me. That's really fascinating to have that. It's wonderful that they yeah. can express that to you. Yeah. It's wonderful. I, I believe me, the kids I see in my office, that is not easy for them to do. And mm-hmm. I don't know that their mothers would be that receptive because I don't think their mothers are aware of it. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think the mothers are aware that they're coming across as angry or that their kids think they're coming across as angry. Well, I but, think this know, could be a real light bulb for a lot of us, right? I think this is yeah. your listener, like this is important information. Like our anxiety 
you know, our children may make up a story about that, about how you feel about them and, and how they are not good enough and they're not worthy. And, and like, if I'm feeling constantly criticized, then, then that is, uh, that's definitely a lack of acceptance there, right. That they're ex- experiencing, I guess. For sure. And as I said, it can be something like social, you know, I've, I've had situations where, let's say a girl's in middle school and she's really struggling socially. And um, she tells her mom about that. And she tells her mom, you know, what she's doing about it. And the mom can relate to this situation. I mean, who of us- Maybe too much. (laughs) Right, exactly. Who hasn't been in middle school? (laughs) If you've been a girl in middle school, you can relate to the issues, right? The worst year of my life. Yes. The worst. I was just going to say, we all wanted to skip seventh grade. There should be no seventh grade for for girls. (laughs) The worst year. So, but you know, you hear this and you become very anxious and you don't realize it. And then- you respond to your daughter like, what are you doing? Why are you letting these girls treat you like this? You know, and you, you speak like this and your daughter is like, what did I do wrong? You know, <laughs> why are you yelling mm. at me? Why, what, you know, and the daughter ends up feeling like a disappointment. Like she's not only disappointed in her own social life, but now she feels like she's disappointing her mom. So not only is she upset about her own social situation, but now she's upset about upsetting her mom. So I'm hearing from you, parents, we need to take care of our own anxiety. We need to learn to take care of our difficult feelings. We need to be able to process, bring our, um, regulate our feelings, bring ourselves back to our own sense of ease and calm. And that's one of the best gifts we can give to our kids. Dear listener, I've re- we've said that how many times on the podcast, right? But here it is from another angle. It's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure you have said it before. Um, yeah. But sometimes, you know, hearing it in the context of situations can be so helpful. Yeah. Because we've all sort of been there in those situations. Mm-hmm. You know, we want what's best for our daughters. And we we think that we're, we're doing our, and we all do our best, you know. But being aware of our own activation, being aware of what our bodies feel like, um, you know, when, when we have all these stress hormones flooding our brains. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. 
I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Um, and, and being able to um, have the self-discipline enough to realize it's happening and realize I don't have to act on this right now. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we all have this feeling, or at least I did, <laughs> I can speak for myself. So if I were upset about something that was going on, worried, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, something that was going on in my kids' lives, I felt this sense of urgency to talk about it now. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like I have to deal with this now. It's really upsetting me. And now is the best time. And I learned the hard way, I think, that if I'm feeling that way, oftentimes, no, it wasn't the best time. It's the in wrong fact, time to talk about it. <laughs> it's the wrong time. <laughs> exactly. And that I needed to take a pause mm. and process things myself and kind of kind of do a little um, self-inquiry uh, and think, okay, why am I so upset about this? What is it triggering for me? What am I really upset about? What do I really want to accomplish in this conversation with my kid? And boy, was that grounding. That was so helpful. Because then I didn't I blurt out you know, the first thing that came to my head, which was not the, the best thing. That reminds me of advice I heard on this podcast that I've mentioned a couple of times that I think is so apropos that Aaron Huey, director of the Fire Mountain Center for Troubled Kids who are dealing with addiction, suicide, et cetera. His top two, I said, how, how can we avoid our kids coming to your center, Aaron? And he said, you know, it was like, take care of yourself and have other adults that you can process your stuff with. So talk yes. to, right? Like mm -hmm. that was what, like those, some of the, the two th top two things he said, it wasn't anything about the kids. It was like you taking care of yourself and process your, have places, have people to talk to, to, to process your things. So you're not coming to your kids as activated, just like, just like you're saying, Ronnie, like that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. And you know, I, I think that podcasts have uh, fulfilled such a need because in my experience, as time has gone on over the decades, you know, that I've been a psychologist in practice and interviewed people for my books and things, I've seen that it's harder and harder for parents to get that kind of support mm -hmm. because, you know, when Absolutely. kids are little, right, you're more isolated 
that's one thing. And especially during the pandemic, but also as your kids get older, you don't have as many opportunities. You're not volunteering in school that much anymore. You're not being the, the chaperone on the field trip um, or chaperoning a dance. You know, you just, you kid doesn't want you to do that, that kind of thing. You're not the class mother. Um, and then when your kids get into the adolescent years, you have this sense of not wanting to violate their trust. And so you don't want to talk about your kid um, mm -hmm. with other people who might be in a position to judge them. But also, I think that there's, again, with this achievement frenzy, parents are loath to, uh, to really acknowledge that they're having any issues with their kids mm. because, you know, they're so busy presenting this image of this perfect kid. And that is making every other mother feel like, oh, I'm the only one who's having this problem. You know, I'm not getting any validation that this is a normal thing. You, yeah. you look around and you see every other teenage girl seems to be so much more put together and is so polite. And, you know, how come your daughter is the only one who's giving you the stink eye, you know? And it's so not true. And I think podcasts have really brought that home to a lot of mothers. Oh, good. So yes. Thank you for the you're, work that you're doing. You're, you're not alone, dear listener. But I want to go back. So kind of what I'm hearing from you, Ronnie, is like, we need to back off a little, right? Like we need to kind of give them some space. We need to take care of our feelings. We need to let them value their friends. Like that's great. But I also understand that like in the teen years that it, you mentioned, like we, rather than pushing them, right. We want, we maybe need to back off a little, but I also understand that like in the adolescent and teen years are a good time for things, structured things like sports, yes. like activities, like my girls are in scouts, like they're really into that, you know? And, and I think that's great because, you know, when you're little, you need all this unstructured play. You need to be able to make up your own rules. You need to have free time and things like that. And then your brain goes cuckoo bananas in adolescence <laughs> and you need some structure, right? Like, is that, is that true? I mean, cause I think that's a, a helpful guide to think about how, you know, how much structure are you going to have in your kid's life? Are, are you going to encourage them or say, Hey, at least you need to do one activity. Like, I don't care what it is. You choose it, but you know, something like that. What would you say to that, Ronnie? Absolutely correct. Um, I think that it's very, very important for developmentally for kids to be in a structured kind of situation where there are guidelines, there are rules, where they're in a relationship with another adult who's an authority figure. Um, they're in a situation with peers where they have to learn, even if they're not on a team sport, you know, whether it's in scouts or even a class that they're doing together, but they learn how to share, they learn how to help each other. There are many, many things that can be learned from structured activities. But as you say, it's a very different thing when kids are allowed to choose their activity and follow their passion, you know? That's a very, very important thing. And the other thing that I want to say, and I don't think that you were implying this, but I just want to clarify this. Sure, yeah. Yes, parents need to step back for sure. But we also need to be poised to step in when necessary. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is a really important message that we give kids where we say to them, you know, you do your thing, you know, show me how responsible you are. Show me what good judgment you have. Show me, you know, that you're making these good decisions. And if you don't, I'm here to help you out. You know, that's what I'm here for. I will step in because you're going to make mistakes. That's how you learn. 
and I'm going to treat your mistakes not as a federal crime and you know punish you for the rest of your life, but I'm going to step in and help you to see where you went wrong and correct you so that in the future you'll make better decisions. And that's really important for kids too, just as much as the freedom is knowing that there are guardrails there for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some structure, right? Some, yes. you know, yeah. The too much, freedom, right. It's like some a limits. sense of, yeah. A sense of like, I, I don't care about you. Right. Like that's kind of gives them that message. Like if there's too much freedom, it's like, where are the, the people holding the limits that show that they, they care about me. And yeah, I see, you know, it, you're reminding me of, um, of a story from when I was probably pretty new in my practice And um, of course, you know, 99% of the teenagers in my practice were complaining to me that their parents didn't give them enough freedom. And then I saw a girl who very tearfully told me that she had no rules. Her mother didn't know if she had dinner, didn't make her dinner, um, never asked about her schoolwork. Her mother was completely checked out. And I don't think I've ever had like to that point. Mm -hmm. I have since then, but I had such a sense of sadness for this girl because she really felt like she wasn't even seen, like she wasn't even important. And Mm. it, it was very damaging for her. So the middle path, it comes back to the middle. Yes. Yes. Moderation. Yes. Moderation. (laughs) Moderation. Okay. But moderation, it's, now we have some new challenges. So let's kind of go into some of those, right? Like, so today we have some new challenges. And sometimes I think of like, you know, for me, one of the cardinal rules of parenting is like, we model, right? Our modeling is like the best teaching, right? That we live what we want our kids to learn. But then there are a few things I feel like that where there's, um, you know, with, with, with boundaries and things like that. But I, there, I feel like there are two things where we need to, uh, like have stronger boundaries in some ways because their, their very nature is so different. Like, and that's sugar and screens, screen time, like and technology, right? Like, because the addictions things yeah, that are, that can be like incredibly addictive, right. To the yes. human body yes. because of the way we evolved in a you know, our brain is a hundred thousand years old and we live in this very extremely different life that is really hard for our a hundred thousand year old evolved brain to deal with. Right. Yeah. So sure. And kids brains have not evolved. I mean, they have, but, but they're not fully developed. So you're dealing with under underdeveloped brains or still immature brains, which is a whole other thing from adults. Yeah. And we've got things like TikTok now. I mean, it's like, which is like this super addictive thing. So what, what are your guys, what do you recommend as far as dealing with technology? Some, maybe some guidelines that you could offer us for dealing with technology for adolescent girls in ways that keep them um, empowered, but safe and, you know, and, and learning, I mean, my learning how to deal with it. It's hard for adults to deal with this technology. It is hard for adults to deal with it. And I might say that one of the reasons that I wrote this book is that I really feel for parents of teens right now. You know, my kids are so much older and I know would have been very difficult for me to go through this. 
And so I really wanted to help this generation of parents who have who are raising teens right now. And one of the things that I think is very important is to recognize that you, you it's okay if you're feeling intimidated. You know, a lot of parents know that they didn't grow up with technology, but their daughters have, you know, they're digital natives and they have this natural affinity and they have less anxiety about technology. Mm-hmm. And so many parents feel so intimidated that they just want to bury their heads in the sand, which is not what I think that people should be doing. Yeah, so I'd like to, right. That's they're they're going to run wild, right? We have to kind of that's stay a disaster. almost like the, you were saying before, like we have to be available and kind of tuned in, but that middle path, not like totally hovering in control. Right. So here's here's how that would look with the technology world. First of all, what I said before about being allies, I think that's really especially important because Mm -hmm. so many parents think, oh, technology, it's it's the devil. You know, no, that's not the right attitude. I have seen so many examples of how technology is really beneficial to kids and how it really helps them to feel connected and to grow and to exercise creativity and to become entrepreneurs. So there's all of those good things, but our job like with everything else, too. right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. So our job is to help keep them safe. And so long before your kids actually get their first piece of technology, which I think you should delay as long as humanly possible, because you're giving their ch- uh, brains a chance to grow and develop more. But before you do that, you have to establish that you are not the expert because you're not the expert on every social media app that's going to be that's invented now or that's going to crop up in you know two months. Um, but you are the expert on your daughter. You are the expert on what her skills are, where she has her strengths, where she has her weaknesses, and you are going to sit down with her together and talk about technology. You're going to teach her. Uh, as much as you can, and you are going to ask her things in response. And so you're going to learn from each other. This is a collaborative relationship, a partnership, if you will. Now, obviously you're the parents, so you have that say-so. Um, it's not a democracy. But what I mean by that is, so for example, with social media, we don't know the culture that the social culture that kids have at every different grade level or with their community. Um, so we can't make assumptions. So sitting down with your daughter, for example, and asking her, what is her idea of a good post? You know, what makes a social media post good? What makes it authentic? Um, what are turn off for her? You know, among her peers, there's sort of an unspoken kind of set of rules. Um, what does she think is inappropriate? Um, and you start off little by little, kind of discussing this with her, giving her your feedback and conveying your values. And you're going to say to her, this is something we're going to learn together. And until I know that you are really skilled and older and making good judgment, I'm going to check in every now and then to make sure that you're safe, just as I will when you get your driver's license. I'm not going to give you the driver's license and have you go drive on a highway or in a snowstorm, you know, little by little, I'm going to let you drive independently and make sure you know how to keep yourself safe. So it's really, you put it in the context of all the other steps toward independence that 
you're going to be going through as you're raising her. I love that. That makes so much sense. Like for some reason with technology, we tend to be like, okay, here it is, you know, and <laughs> you know, and that's kind of nuts. You know, we, um, it is. And would you agree? Like one thing I discovered recently with the technology is that we can use the technology to hold some of our boundaries, right? Like, cause it gets really confusing. Like if my 15 year old has a smartphone and my 12 year old doesn't have a phone, but my 15 year old now likes to read books on her smartphone, right? She mm-hmm. has a black background, the words are in type. She has a book reading app. She does Duolingo on her smartphone. Like she's got her scout app on her smartphone. Everything is there. So we have like, for instance, a boundary in our house where we have a screen-free Sunday mm-hmm. and we don't know, you know, like she's just looking at the phone. <laughs> we don't know what she's doing. And she says that she's reading. But recently I discovered that I inserts my phone can control her phone and block certain things for, you know, and, and these were agreements we had made a long time ago. So I just made it formalized by blocking that thing so that I would, could not, I could step away from being like the enforcer of this thing. And I could let the technology kind of be the, hold the boundary for me. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about that. I'll I'll tell you, I have mixed feelings. Um, I I do have mixed feelings. I understand the reason that you want to do it because you don't want to be the enforcer. You don't want to be in that position where you have to do that. And I get that. It's exhausting. Um, There are a couple of reasons why part of me thinks that that's not a good idea. First of all, I think that what we're trying to do during this stage is to help our kids develop the Mm self-discipline to say, no, I'm not supposed to do that, or no, that's not a good thing for me to do. Because Mm -hmm. otherwise, as soon as they get to school, they're going to be, you know, I don't know, watching something or shopping or (laughs) online or, you know, in the black hole of TikTok or whatever, Um, they're not going to have those skills to kind of pull themselves back. And so it's, it's very unlikely Mm -hmm. that kids are going to use those kind of parental controls uh, or they're, you know, setting uh, screen time kind of limits for themselves. They don't do that. They have to be able to resist the temptation in the minute. And so it's helpful to, um, you know, to teach them how to do that. The other reason is that when I interviewed kids for this for this book, I was shocked. Um, I talked to 16 and 17 year olds and I talked to 11 and 12 year olds and it didn't matter the age. When I asked them about parental controls, they laughed at me. They know how to get around them better than computer engineers, literally better than they have. And I, and I actually wrote some of these in the book, the ones Mm -hmm. that they, that they told me about. They told me about all kinds of clever workarounds and how to, I mean, you can't even imagine. Um, when I tell parents these things, their mouths drop open. They have no, or, or parents tell me, I don't know how my kid got in my phone. I changed my password. I said, well, did they create another you know, ID? Oh, yes, that's what they did. Um, you know, um, so it, it, it gives you a false sense of security Mm, and, 
I don't like that. I don't like that idea at all. So I no, think actually, it's my daughters told me about a workaround. Oh, they had. did. Yeah, because my husband set it up so like the Wi-Fi turn turns off. Turns YouTube off at a certain hour. At a like the Wi-Fi cuts off YouTube at a certain hour, right. and I had in, mistakenly like signed up to do like a seven p.m. book talk for raising good humans, and then I got there at seven p.m. and it was like I didn't even realize it was seven p.m. on the West Coast, which was like. 10 p.m. So anyway, I was already exhausted. I had to stay up till 10 p.m. Oh my god! Because I didn't want to make these people disappoint. All yeah. these people had signed up for this thing, so I'm like, okay, I'm just so tired. I'm just watch some YouTube on my phone or whatever, and I couldn't do it because it was like, and my my daughters were like, Mom, it's super easy. You just put your yes. phone on 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 cellular time. rather than like wi-fi oh that <laughs> like, oh, okay oh, putting your phone on cellular is one way also changing the time zone is another way yeah there are lots of there are lots of, of course ways. they know so, about it okay so of course they know about it and they're much really smarter understand than the value i mean so and part of me feels like like okay we ha- we've had the screen free sunday forever sometimes they hate it most of the time now that, you know, but like what we see is like their most creative work comes out of Screen Free Sunday. They're like painting, they're doing all these like great things. And of so, course. and we like having this sort of Sabbath. Is it something that I should maybe at this point, like um, try to like kind of express the value of, but not be so much of enforcer of, I don't know. What do you think, Ronnie? <laughs> well, I think that it's important to offer kids an alternative. You know, I think that it's better to demonstrate things and to have Mm -hmm. them experience things than to uh, kind of talk them into it or moralize and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So I'm a big believer in screen-free time. And I think it's good for adults. I mean, I know it's Mm -hmm. good for adults as well as for kids. So I love when parents have, well, first of all, dinner time, you know, there should be no phones, Um, family time. I think there should be no phones. Like if you're, you know, having a movie night or you're having people over, no, no phones. Um, But I think that what you're describing, I love the idea of, you know, a screen-free Sabbath, Um, then it should be fun. You know, you should plan to do things that are fun for the whole family. Mm -hmm. And so you're demonstrating to kids, yeah, they might've missed their phones. They might've they might feel out of touch with their peers or they might not be able to read on their e-reader. Um, but you know what? They're also having fun doing non-screen activities. And it's so important for them to experience that and to be aware that that's possible. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah. they think I mean, that their screens are their lives. I know. I know. It's scary because it's so easy, right? It's so such an easy, easy way to get those dopamine hits. And it's so much easier than reaching out to a friend and connecting and real life. I mean, I'm amazed how little I see that teenagers in like the community, which is pretty connected where I live, reaching out to each other and seeing each other in real life. I mean, it probably is left over from the pandemic, but it's just kind of amazing, I think. Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting because with the pandemic, what happened was that teens were so used to talking, you know, through technology. And then when they couldn't see their peers in school, they started craving that face-to-face contact. 
Mm. I was seeing such an increase in kids who were saying, I just want to hug my friends. I just want to be with my friends, which I thought good. You know, I mean, it's silver lining of the pandemic that it's sort of human nature to want something that you can't have. Right. So Mm. all of a sudden they wanted that again, but I was just doing, um, a wellness day with middle schoolers. And what I was hearing from them is that their people skills are super rusty and they are feeling awkward about being in person with people. They're saying, well, what if we have nothing to talk about? What if we have nothing to say? They're telling me that they're whipping out their phones if there's an awkward moment because you know what else are they gonna do? They're showing their peers something. They, their people skills are, are terrible. They're, they're having panic attacks if their mother asks them to pop in the post office and get some stamps. Um, they can't order in a restaurant, I'm hearing from parents. They just can't look at people in the eye. Um, it's a, so they're having this reentry problem, mm. a lot of anxiety. So I love the fact that parents are able to now do things as a family and maybe do things with family friends which Mm. is usually less anxiety provoking for kids Mm -hmm. because they're usually kids that they've grown up with and they're not Mm -hmm. going to school with. Mm -hmm. So there's less pressure. So we can ease them back into, yes, this is how you are with other people. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Ronnie, there's so many things you could talk about. I can't believe how quickly we came up against our, Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Um, Ronnie's book, new book is anything, but my phone mom, um, can be found anywhere. Bookstores books are sold. And where can people reach out and, and talk to you if they have more questions or want to connect? Well, there's a lot of information available on my website, which is ronniecohensandler.com. It's R-O-N-I-C-O-H-E-N-S-A-N-D-L-E-R.com. And they can also reach me on Facebook, Dr. Ronnie Cohen-Sandler, and Twitter, Dr. Ronnie CS. Um, I also have a newsletter, which they can sign up for on my website. But I have a lot of of information um, on my website for parents about all different sorts of things, uh, all different sorts of topics. Um, And they can also ask questions of me there. So I'm happy to hear from all of your listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time for doing this work, for writing your books and sharing your wisdom with us. It's selfishly, it's been very helpful for me to think about my teen girls. Um, and that makes me feel good. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Anytime. I loved it. Thank you. This episode was so helpful to me. I hope it was so helpful to you too. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you were here today to, and or whatever day it is for you with, with our voices in your ears. And I'm so glad that you are, you're a part of this community and this tribe all around the world. Yay. Yay. And yeah, we're going to, we're, we're you know, bit by bit things around. And listen, if you want to be a part of turning things around, share this episode. It really just makes such a huge difference. You can do something simple like, you know, share it on your Instagram stories. Of course, tag me a mindful mama mentor, but it's so cool. If you have friends who have daughters, share, you know, text it to them. It's such a nice thing to, I love being able to like discuss some of these, some of these episodes with my friends because 
we get we end up talking about deeper and more important things than you do in your average conversation and that is really really meaningful to me so i invite you to do that too <laughs> if you of course if you would like to take things deeper if you would like to join a group of passionate people who are working to transform their generational patterns and communicate skillfully and all of those things. We have the Mindful Parenting membership and you can go to mindfulparentingcourse.com. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com and sign up to get on the wait list and we'll let you know when it opens again and you can join this international community of people. We have people in Australia and Brazil and Nigeria and England, all around the world. It's pretty amazing. The power of the live coaching calls three times a month. I mean, that is such just the power of community because, you know, you can be surrounded by people who have some toxic ideas about parenting. And if you want to have surround yourself with people who have some really, really healthy, positive ideas, go check it out. Mindfulparentingcourse.com and get on the wait list. And I'm wishing you a great week. I'm wishing you some peace and ease and less stress and health. You can probably hear in my voice. I've been recovering from the big C. Oh man, I'm wishing you lots of health. Lots of sunshine, lots of hugs. I can't wait to get back in and hug my kids. So uh, so if you can hug your kids right now, just know that right now, I can't hug my kids today or yesterday. And it's like, oh man, so enjoy it. Enjoy it for me. And I'm wishing you a beautiful, beautiful week, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you again soon. Namaste. definitely do it it's really helpful it will change your relationship with your kids for the better it will help you communicate better and just I'd say communicate better as a person as a wife as a spouse it's been really a positive influence in our lives so definitely do it I'd say definitely do it it's so worth it the money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it? who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. 
This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.